The whole concept of how laundered money winds up in Vancouver's real estate market has been one that has certainly been talked about a lot uh, over recent years. There's even a commission, the Cullen Commission, set up by the province of BC to look into allegations that billions of dollars of offshore money have been laundered through real estate in Vancouver. It's due out next month. But a new investigation by the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project based in Europe and the Toronto Star here at home digs into one specific example called in the Cullen Commission's exhibits, just quote, money laundering case study. Well, the reporters dug into it a bit more to figure out what exactly the case study was about, who was being mentioned or who was being talked about in this case study, which was anonymous in the Cullen uh, Commission exhibits. It describes one individual wanted by the government of China on charges of bribery for his alleged role in a major corruption scandal involving a senior military official. According to the report, the same individual allegedly funneled more than $100 million into this country and invested some $32 million in luxury real estate in Vancouver. He denies the allegations of bribery back in China and is fighting to stay in this country. But the report certainly highlights a bigger problem. In 2019, a BC government expert panel estimated more than $7 billion in dirty money was laundered in the province in the previous year alone. As much as $5.3 billion of that was laundered through real estate, apparently, causing housing prices to increase. With more on all of it, I'm joined by one of the reporters who worked on this. Jared Ferry is with the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, and he's co-author of the just published article following the tr- following a trail of tainted money from China into Vancouver real estate. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So what did you set off to look into? There's a specific story here, sort of a specific uh, anecdotal tale. Uh, what did you start to look into and what did you find? The overall topic is is pretty fascinating. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about money laundering in real estate in Vancouver in particular. And of course, in other cities in Canada. But what we rarely see are, you know, case studies of how this actually works. So you see a lot of analysis, a lot of estimates of how much money is going into real estate and where it's coming from. But there's very little evidence out there that that shows you the specifics. So that's really what I was looking for. And the way it came about was simply by trolling through the, um, the Cullen Commission's exhibits. There's more than a thousand exhibits of evidence, and one of them that I came across was this case study. Um, I thought it was fascinating right off the bat, but it was uh, completely redacted. There were no names in there, um, so there were all these fascinating details about you know um, money flows um, into Canadian banks, huge huge amounts of money, um, but there were no names of the people. Um, we had no idea where the money came from. And so uh, that's that's what got me started. So you said about trying to figure out who this story was about, and uh, you you found you figured it out at some point. I mean, of course, the, the person in question uh, denies this to be true, but uh, you you sort of found a way to trace this story back to its origins. You figured out where the money came from, and uh, allegedly, and what it was spent on here. Yeah, so we we did manage to find out who who um, person A was. He's referred to as person A in the report. It was a bit tricky and it was a bit lucky. Um, there were some clues in the case study, um, even though they had, you know, it's 168 pages or something. Um, and they've done a pretty good job of redacting all the information that could identify people. But there was one, there was a chart from FinTrack, which is Canada's financial regulator. And one of the companies um, that had transferred money 
was not quite fully redacted. And so when you you could sort of read the name and when you 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 tried a few different combinations of letters to to come up with possible titles for this company, basically that's what we did. We we plugged it into um, the Panama Papers, which was the big, you know, leak of corporate data uh, quite a while ago now by um, the uh, ICIJ. And so after, you know, you plug a few names in and after plugging one name in, sure enough, uh, something, it hits. And what came up was the name of this, this fellow, uh, Chen Zijun, and um, he was named as the director of this company. So now I had a name. So you have a thread but, and, you, and you start to pull yeah. at this point. So then, you know, we started searching. I'm very lucky to work with an organization that has expertise um, all over the world, really. So we have uh, uh, someone that could do the Chinese research for me, or with me, I should say. Right. And, you know, it turned out that this this guy had been named in state media and state-backed media articles in China as being connected to a major military corruption scandal in China, one of the largest scandals, if not the largest military corruption scandal. And so there were, you know, mentions of, of the someone with the same name in Chinese language media. So that was a that was a clue, but of course that didn't really close the case, right? But what we then did was searched for that name in the BC property registration and that turned up some property records. And to make things more complicated, he and his wife and daughter had all changed their names. And this was mentioned in the Cullen Commission case study the year they changed their names. And so what we were able to establish through the property records was that the guy with the same name that was named in the stories in China had bought properties. And then in the same year that the Cullen Commission said person A changed their name, the person that owned those property titles registered them under a new name along with his wife and his daughter also registered a name. So, Jared, now that you've sort of figured this out and and, uh, and established this, what do we now know about Chen and, and the amount of money that was brought into this country and what was purchased with it? Specifically, in the case of the Cullen Commission, we're looking at money laundering and property. Right. So we know that at least $114 million uh, came into the country, but it looks like it might be a fair bit more, but that's what we know for sure. Um, and that's really through the FinTrack, Canada's financial regulator, had put together a, a report, and that was included in the case study. And so that report was sparked by UBS Bank, which is actually a Swiss bank. Chen had allegedly sent this money through an underground banking network that was sort of based in Hong Kong and Macau. And they were sending transfers of you know sometimes millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time into Canadian banks. This went into like major Canadian banks, RBC, Bank of Montreal, Scotiabank, TD. The only bank that flagged it happened to be a Swiss bank, UBS. And they, they filed a suspicious transaction report to FinTrack and FinTrack looked into it. What was it? So this is more than $100 million. Some of it you've pointed out in your article is purchased, used, we believe, allegedly, to purchase property uh, worth you know, $32 million worth of property in, in Vancouver. Um, where was this money coming from, at least according to, to Chen? Where, because I gather when he came to Canada, he, they certainly didn't present themselves as being wealthy. 
No, in fact, um, the the documents that were available through the Calling Commission case study showed that he had declared making at most about 41,000 Canadian a year. Um, his wife worked as a clerk. So they had they declared a fairly modest income. Now, he'd been involved in property development in China. And so he they, they came to Canada in the family came to Canada in 2006 under the immigrant investor program, which is no longer exists, but he kept going back and doing business. So he was developing, he was developing property. And there was a, there was a Lieutenant general in the people's liberation army who was in charge of developing uh, an, a former military airport site in Shanghai. And so Chen got involved in this development, this high ranking military officer uh, later when he's now got life in prison, he was given a death sentence, but that was later commuted. Um, but he had, he'd been in charge of developing this site. And, you know, according to the Chinese um, courts, he was taking bribes to sell, basically give, sell land to people for below market prices. So allegedly, this is what Chen was involved in. Um, he managed to get some land in this site. Uh, he sold it to another developer, and then the money started coming into his Canadian accounts. Now, I should say that through his lawyer, he denies paying any bribes. He denies there was any corruption whatsoever. I'm speaking with Jared Ferry. He's an editor with the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, co-author of the just published Following a Trail of Tainted Money from China into Vancouver Real Estate, a fascinating look into one specific alleged uh, example of how money made its way from uh, from China into into Canada and then was invested into uh, lux- luxury real estate, really, or luxury real estate was purchased here, uh, all part of the Cullen Commission here that's looking into money laundering. Uh, after this, we'll talk a bit more about just more about the specifics of this case, but also describe why it matters, why it tells a bigger story about what's been going on, uh, we believe, in uh, in British Columbia real estate and elsewhere as well. That's coming up. Speaking with Jared Ferry, he's an editor with the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project and co-author of the just published Following a Trail of Tainted Money from China <clears throat> into Vancouver Real Estate, telling the story of one specific uh, family, how the money uh, left China, came to Canada, and what it was used to do and why it raised red flags about a larger problem, which is the use of uh, money laundering, money, money coming into this country, then being invested in real estate and driving up real estate costs. One study showed that uh, that uh, it was driven up by as much as 5% one year by just the arrival of of money from offshore that was then being invested into property. Uh, Jared, what, what did you find out? I mean, so you've established where the money came from, how it came into this country. Uh, I gather there were no good answers from the family as to where this money was from, even when asked uh, through uh, through the bank, that one of the banks that was uh, suspicious of this. Right. I mean, so they they said that they were property developers and 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 basically his lawyer told us the same thing. Um they developed property and that said it was all legitimate. I mean, it's it's very hard to I spoke to experts for this story uh on China and how things work there and of course the land tenure system is all government controlled. So whenever you're doing a big land deal, there are state officials involved and essentially there's a lot of corruption in land development in China. So the, the Chinese government accuses him of being involved in corruption through these developments. He denies it. But it does, whether the, the case, the facts of this story denied or, you know, their allegations at this point, but the facts of this story do paint a picture that has been one of concern uh, in BC for quite a while. And what did you, how did you 
draw those parallels? Well, I think, you know, as you say, there's there's been a lot of concern about this and there's been a lot of uh, discussion about um, money coming in from overseas from, you know, really unknown sources and flooding into the real estate market and driving prices up. Um, I know that there have been kind of official f- estimates of prices being driven up in Vancouver by about 5%. I have to say that I've caught, I've talked to people with knowledge and they say that's a very low estimate. Um, it may be a lot more than that. I think the reality is that we don't know how much money illicit, we don't know how much illicit money has gone into real estate in Vancouver and in other Canadian cities. So we can't really estimate the impact of it. But we do know that it's happening. And so that's why this story, I think, is important just to, I'm, I'm hoping that it'll spark a bit of debate um, about this issue, because, you know, it's obviously, it's a problem that's affecting many Canadians. And myself, I'm from Vancouver. And, you know, someday, maybe I'd like to live there and own a home, but it's certainly not within my budget now. What is it about this story specifically did you find was it allowed you to tell the bigger story about what the issue of money laundering and property in Vancouver and BC is look i think it's it's been very hard to get hard facts about money laundering in Vancouver real estate it's you know by its very nature money laundering is extremely hard to investigate because obviously people are hiding the source of their funds so what we have here is a pretty good case study. Um, again, with the caveat that this fellow has never been convicted and he maintains that he's innocent, but all the signs are there. I mean, the UBS bank flagged it because it looked like money laundering. Um, and so this case study is, it's a microcosm of the problem of money laundering in Vancouver real estate. We have to assume that there are hundreds of other cases like this, at least. So, I mean, at, at least we were able to piece together one case study that allows people to understand what it is we're talking about when we say that money from corruption is coming in from overseas and is, is fueling um, you know, rising property prices in Vancouver. And Jared, I mean, you're from Vancouver, as you mentioned. This is certainly not a Chinese issue. This is certainly not specific to one country. The money launder, the the the, the dirty money itself comes from 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 many places. Uh, but one of the in a previous article that you took part in, one of the uh, comments made was, if organized crime were to create a country, it would look like Canada. And that's always really stuck with me because clearly, on our side, we're having issues with stopping this. So I think you know a lot of a lot of people in law enforcement and. Uh, the legal system have told me that Canada is particularly attractive to people who, you know, want to launder money, who want to even for harder crimes like, you know, smuggling drugs. Um, what I'm told is that first of all, Canada and BC in particular are not very transparent jurisdictions. You know, you can still own a company anonymously and, um, we now have a land transparency registry in BC, but if you talk to experts, they'll tell you that that's full of holes. So it's an easy place to hide your money without anybody knowing about it. Now, what I'm told by people in law enforcement is that also uh, the police have 
less ability to pursue cases for for various legal reasons that are a bit complicated. But but just it's worth noting that I think that police or law enforcement in the U.S., uh, the U.K., Australia have an easier time pursuing these types of organized crime groups. So what now for uh, for Mr. Chen and his family and his uh, expensive properties in Vancouver? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, the, the chances that Canada would send him back to China to face a trial there are slim to none because as we point out in the story, you can't trust the Chinese justice system. But at the moment, um, Chen is fighting to stay in Canada and to get citizenship because he came under uh, the immigrant investor program. He got permanent residency and that was meant to lead into getting citizenship, but that was blocked by Canada Border Services Agency. So he's now in this legal struggle to, to get citizenship. Jared Ferry, thank you so much for your time. Today. A fascinating case. We'll, uh, we'll follow up and we're expecting the Cullen Commission report uh, next month as well. So that should be a lot more on this topic coming soon. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks, Ben.